Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Our point of view on this program is that Bible readers should understand that Jesus was a Jew. To understand him and to understand the Christian faith, we must appreciate the Jewishness of Jesus. He was raised and trained from childhood on the Hebrew Scriptures, that 77% of the Bible that we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament. Jesus believed that the Bible was an authoritative statement from the living God, the one true God, the God of Israel. You remember that Jesus quoted the famous creed of Israel, the so-called Shema, or Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. That famous cardinal text of Judaism is found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And Jesus, as the pioneer of the Christian faith, reaffirmed that very same creed in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and following. So you see, Jesus was a Jew to the core, and yet he was also a Christian. Now that lays upon us as Bible students the obligation to understand Jesus in his first century Palestinian Jewish environment. Now it's not, of course, that Jesus just repeated everything that was found in the Old Testament and reinforced it, the Christian faith as it was taught by Jesus himself and later developed by Paul under Jesus' supervision, shows marked changes from its original form in the Old Testament as Judaism. For example, sacrifices, animal sacrifices were offered in a temple under the conditions laid down by Moses, but that is not to be so today. And there are other changes marking a difference between the Christianity of the New Testament and the law of Moses. However, much of the revelation given in the Hebrew Bible relates directly to the Christian faith. The faith of Abraham, for example, is to be the faith of the Christian. I wonder if you knew that Abraham, in fact, is given a special title in the New Testament. He's called the father of all who believe. And those who believe in the New Testament are the Christians. So Abraham is the father of the Christians, a spiritual father. Christians in the New Testament are called those who walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. You'll find that in Romans chapter 4, verse 12. And again in Romans 4:16, reference is made to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Now, there's actually a Christian denomination which has in the title of its denominational name the term Faith of Abraham. This title, of course, was to be a reminder of the fact that Christianity, as Jesus and Paul preached it, has its roots deep in the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of all Scripture that we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament, because it's not passé or obsolete, it's not finished and done with, it's very relevant, as a basis for the teaching of Jesus himself. So Christians then in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 16, are described as those who follow in the faith of Abraham, as those who are the children of Abraham, and those who belong to the faith of Abraham. Now this at once links the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, with New Testament Christianity. And it reinforces our major thesis that Jesus and Paul 
cannot be understood apart from their roots in the faith of Israel, the faith of ancient Judaism. In the book of Galatians, Paul makes the point about the connection between Abraham and Christ even more emphatically. In Galatians 3, verse 8, Paul announces the fact that the gospel, the Christian gospel, that is, was preached beforehand to Abraham. And he then quotes a verse from Genesis saying that all the nations will be blessed in their connection with Abraham as united in the faith of Abraham. Now, can you imagine that? The Christian gospel was preached long before Jesus arrived on the scene. Actually, Abraham had the Christian gospel preached to him. It's only reasonable then that we as Christians should ask the question, what was the content of that gospel as God delivered it to the patriarch Abraham, the father of the faithful? Well, the foundational texts to do with the Abrahamic faith are found, of course, in the book of Genesis. And the basic and fundamental text to begin with would be Genesis chapter 12, the first four or five verses there. The promise that's given to Abraham is to do with the land. Not only is he to own and possess a land forever, but he's to have an offspring, a seed, through whom the nations are going to be blessed. I want you to note carefully that the land promise, the gift of land to Abraham, was guaranteed both to Abraham personally and to his descendants after him. The point is the most important one because Abraham, in fact, during his life, never received the inheritance of the land promised to him. That's what creates a tension in the biblical story as we await the great denouement of God's plan, which must result in the reception of the gift of the land to Abraham, promised throughout the book of Genesis. Now, if, as Paul maintained, the Christian gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, Galatians 3, verse 8, and if then the land promise formed the basis of the good news offered to Abraham, it must, of course, follow that the land promise made to Abraham is equally an important factor in the Christian gospel. Now, you may wonder, how can that be? Isn't Christianity just a, quote, spiritual religion, having nothing to do with such things as land or material possessions? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. It would not be unfair to say that the church-going public has been massively misled on this issue of the rewards which a Christian may expect. Few seem to realize that the territorial promises made to Abraham are alive and well in Christianity, according to the Bible. Everybody knows that Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the land. That promise of land to the meek as their reward is exactly the promise made to Abraham that he would indeed inherit and possess the land forever. Listen to the solemn words of God to Abraham in Genesis 13 and verse 14. I quote, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants forever. 
Arise and walk about the land, God said to Abraham. Walk through its length and breadth. I'm going to give it to you. Now that solemn promise, that oath-bound covenant of a land gifted to Abraham has never yet come to fulfillment. If you go to the land of Israel today, you'll find that Abraham is not in possession of it. Abraham has been long dead. He knows nothing of the land today, and furthermore, he never owned the land. There's one small exception to that fact, and that is that in order to bury his wife Sarah, he purchased a small portion of real estate, and that's the only part of the land promised to him which he ever owned. No wonder then that the Bible describes Abraham as a resident alien, a sojourner in the land, one who owned the land potentially, but never actually possessed it, a kind of spiritual tourist waiting for the possession of the land, looking for it in faith, but never actually receiving during his lifetime what was promised him, namely the inheritance of the land of Canaan. Now, Abraham, I have to remind you, is the father of the faithful. It is those who share the same faith and promises made to Abraham who are Christians, according to Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. And so naturally, Christians would share faith in the same promise of the land made to Abraham. That seems entirely logical. It may be that some have thought that the land promise is only for Jews, for flesh-and-blood Jews. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the Christians in the New Testament are designated as children of Abraham, by adoption, if you like, by spiritual inheritance. If you are Christians, Paul said in Galatians 3.29, then you become children of Abraham, and get this, your heirs of the promise, that's to say the promise of the land made to Abraham. It really couldn't be much clearer. But Christians for too long have imagined that their reward, their destiny, and their inheritance is something quite different from that offered to Abraham. But that's not true. If you're an heir of the kingdom, it's because you're a child of Abraham in Jesus Christ, of course, Messiah himself being the great descendant of Abraham, Messiah being the one to whom the promise of the land is made in full. But Abraham also has his share in the land, and Jesus, in his great generosity, offers to share that inheritance of the land or the kingdom of God with all who faithfully follow Jesus now and expect to inherit the kingdom when Jesus returns in power and glory. We started today by pointing out that Jesus, as a Christian, taught a faith which is deeply rooted in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Now, the roots of that faith go back to the promise made to Abraham. The great covenant of land made to Abraham is the basis of Jesus' expectation of his inheritance of the kingdom of God. You see, to Abraham was granted the land forever. Abraham never inherited that land, nor did Isaac, nor did Jacob. Now, the children of Israel, it's true, came into the land for a while, but they did not inherit it permanently. They were kicked out of it. They returned to it. They were ejected again. And at the present time, as you know, they do not possess the land of Israel on the scale promised to them by the great oath-bound covenant given to Abraham. 
So what then has happened to that great promise? The simple answer is that we're waiting for it to be fulfilled, and when is that to be? And the answer to that question is simply when Messiah, as the rightful heir to those great promises made to Abraham, when the Messiah returns to take up his residence in the promised land, as all the prophets of Israel had foreseen. The story is a really very simple one. It's a magnificent unfolding drama that God lays before us in the pages of Scripture. The great promise of the land was made to the distinguished descendant of Abraham, as well as to Abraham himself as the father of the faithful. That promise of the land comes into the New Testament as the promise of the earth, as Jesus spoke it in Matthew 5, verse 5, and therefore the promise of the kingdom of God on the earth, which is the same thing exactly. The earth, you see, will be the scene of the kingdom of God. The land of Canaan will be the center of that worldwide kingdom to be established in glory when the Messiah returns to take up his rightful position as heir of the great land promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13. I've written a book on this issue of the kingdom of God, the land promise made to Abraham, the Davidic covenant, and how these things are being worked out and developed in God's great design and great plan for the world. This issue of the gospel of the kingdom affects you also personally. Will you achieve immortality in that future kingdom? How can you gain that great goal? We invite you to follow our answers to these momentous questions and join us again as we continue our investigation of the gospel about the kingdom of God.